Hey friends, this is Opal coming to you from the editing room. I just listened to the episode and I am so excited to share this amazing and fruitful conversation between myself and Raul with all of you. I do want to let you know and give a disclaimer that the internet was a little bit shaky, so you might hear that reflected through this episode. So bear that in mind, but that does not take away from the quality of the conversation that Raul and I shared. So please continue to listen through, give me your feedback, and I can't wait for you to hear. All right, talk soon. Happy listening. Defining narratives and shifting perspectives. This is Story Noir. Thank you all so much for joining the Story Noir podcast. I'm your host, Opal, and I'm super excited to be coming to you with chapter seven of Story Noir. I am joined by a new friend, Raul. He is the founder of Adopto and an adoptee advocate from Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's a product manager and scout based in the San Francisco Bay Area who has a deep love for all things tech. Raul and I met through the Adopto community, which we'll get into a little bit later, uh, and subsequently uh, met in person a few weeks ago here in Oakland. Raul is also a podcaster, so we decided to collaborate and have this conversation around our lives as adoptees, growing up on different sides of the country, um, and the ways that we're using our identities to advocate for others with similar experiences. So Raul, thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Having met you through Adopto and in person, of course, and I'm excited we get to keep chatting. Yes. So, wow. Adoptee identity, creating identity, you're creating community as adoptees. Like, this is definitely something that is new for me. Uh, making new friends off of this shared identity is, wow. Like, I never thought I would be sitting down with someone like, hey, are you adopted too? And, you know, like, yeah, I am as well. <laughs> And so for folks who aren't super familiar with um, adoption language, um, I myself have considered like a transracial adoptee. There are so many different terms uh, within the adoptee ecosystem, which we can go into a little bit later. But as we both know, you know, we do have the adopted uh, identity, but our stories are very different. Um, and so the main types of adoption, which I know that you're probably familiar with, um, and that I consider, um, and I'm also curious about what you have to add to the list, are foster youth, um, international adoptees, domestic adoptees. I think domestic is, you know, it needs a little bit of expansion in context because domestic really means in the American sense that you were born in the U.S., but you could technically be in a domestic adoptee in Canada. You can be a domestic adoptee anywhere in the world. So that term, right. you know, always requires a little bit of flexibility, but for the purposes of this conversation, domestic in the U.S. sense, um, familial adoption, transracial adoption, and then same race adoption. And so for me, and I, again, terms matter here, but I'm a former foster youth turned transracial adoptee to white adoptive parents. And so that really informs the way that I show up within the adoptee ecosystem. And then for someone with you, which I'll definitely let you explain your identity in a sense, again, we can both sit here and be like, hey, we're both adoptees, but we have very, very different experiences where people might be like, oh, all adoptees are the same. But it's like, no, my experience as, again, <laughs> the former foster youth turned TRA is very different than um, other folks in the ecosystem. So 
out of all those terms, again, we can definitely unpack them um, as we continue on. How would you identify? Yeah, so th and thank you for sharing that context. I think it's always interesting for me when I talk to people in general or just adoptees that I hear from them how they identify. It's always interesting to hear, you know, the transitions or the pivots along that spectrum. And in, and again, it will vary very long journey. So I identify as a same race international adoptee, but again, with the term domestic, it could be flexible where I was adopted under the age of one in New Delhi, India by Indian parents who just so happened to have lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time. And so I was brought over around one year old and then I was raised very, very thankfully. So I'm very happy looking back on it in Ann Arbor for all of my childhood. I went to college there before moving out here to the Bay Area. So same race, international adoptee. Yeah. And that's a really interesting, you know, kind of intersection within the ecosystem because I have met people who have fallen under the familial and then same race adoption um, umbrella. But to meet somebody who is an international same race adoptee like that, again, those intersections are really, really important, which is why uh, the language is also really important. And so I'm curious, what era were you adopted in? Because we've seen throughout history, we saw during, you know, with um, World War II, when a lot of international adoptions happened. Uh, we've also seen, you know, kind of celebrities being, you know, trendy with their adoption and, you know, going to certain countries to adopt. So there have been you know, lots of historical eras um, as to why folks have chosen to adopt. And so how did that inform um, when you were coming up? That's a great question. And so I was, I was a 90s baby. I was a late 90s baby. And awesome. so at that time, from at least from the knowledge I have on India, was it wasn't known for an, an adoption, right? We're not looking historically, like you mentioned, where post-World War II or the Korean-American War, where mm -hmm. there was a huge government push Americans to adopt children affected or impacted or mm -hmm. displaced by the war. So, you know, there wasn't any major uh, shift economically or politically that kind of drove it. So I think I was just very fortunate that I was a late 90s baby and it kind of just worked out timing wise for when my parents were looking. And, you know, I do shape the first ones who laid eyes on me. It was actually my grandmother, who at the time was a physician who was giving some medical aid to the orphanage I was at. Mm -hmm. And I, story goes, I was a very cute baby, but I, I'm sure I was drooling all over the place or something. And she called my mom and said, I think uh, I have a very fun baby that I think you'd like. That's amazing. And, you know, again, we talk about different parts of our life being very important for when we um, were adopted. And so you had mentioned earlier that you were under the age of one, when um, you were placed for adoption. And so that kind of played a role, you know, this has always, you know, been your family. Um, but I guess, you know, I should, it wouldn't go without asking if you remember life before adoption. I'm assuming not, but I, I don't want to, you know, necessarily assume that. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I don't remember life before adoption. I do mm -hmm. remember my earliest memory and it might not be when I was one year old. It could have been when I was three or four, but I do remember there are certain um, religious practices that were kind of an induction, right? Mm -hmm. A new member to the family when you have a newborn. Mm -hmm. And so I do remember going to my paternal grandparents' house in India 
And we did a whole series of different, what we call pujas, which means rituals. And so, you know, as a kid, it's really hard to sit still for a couple of hours. And mm -hmm. so all I would just try and sneak away. And my mom would just keep putting me back in her lap and forcing me to pay attention. Um, but uh, outside of that, I don't remember much about life beforehand. Okay. That's, you know, again, that's a really important notion within, you know, the adoptees um, journey, because again, some people like me, I talk about, yeah, I do remember what life was like before I came into the family. And so again, I think timing, it's all about timing um, when, when right. thinking about the timeline. And so um, have you always openly identified as an adoptee? You know, we talked again before about now the language that we have as adults, but did you always have the language that you do today to say, you know, I am a insert here, insert here? Yeah, that's a good question. So I have always identified as an adoptee. I was very fortunate that my parents did a really good job of explaining it to me when I was very young. I want to say mm -hmm. around the ages of four or five. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, I always knew what it meant. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really go around identifying it publicly. I don't mm -hmm. think it's fully comprehended, yeah. nor did it really come up. Um, mm -hmm. I was very fortunate that in Ann Arbor, where I was, it was a very diverse school. I saw mm -hmm. people from multiple different cultures. So I never once felt like I was the only person of color or the only Indian or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, I didn't openly start identifying as an adoptee. Um, high school was kind of that tumultuous time for me where I was going through a self-identity crisis. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure about my familial roots to my biological family yeah. or, you know, so I went through all of this kind of confusion on who am I, what do I want? Yeah. And that was when I started opening up to identifying as a proud adoptee, not using it as an excuse as I may have done in the past, or I'd heard of others doing it sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it was more of, this is a superpower and I want to identify because it's part of my story. It's not going to hold me back and I can talk about it very proudly and so that was the turning point for me. That's amazing. And so thinking about the fact that you were in a same race household, do you feel any elements of your culture were lost or maybe, you know, taken away because of your adoption? Or was, you know, Indian culture a really big part of you uh, growing up, especially being in a same race household? Yeah, I think definitely being since it's same race, it was always imparted on me from the beginning. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't religious person, but I am familiar with Hindu scriptures and all of our different folklore. I grew up celebrating Indian holidays like Diwali, the festival, you know, mm -hmm. and holy festivals of color. And so, and I also spoke Hindi. I used to be able to write when I was a child too. So we had a, a rule in our household that every single day at dinner, I wasn't only allowed to speak in Hindi. Mm -hmm. And that went all the way up until I graduated college. Okay. So that was my parents' way of, in some ways, instilling that in me in a very fun way. It didn't feel super forced. It was kind of like, hey, this is your chance to practice. Um, and I was very fortunate and blessed that we were able to go back a year, every single year during my, my childhood years. So I never felt alienated. I got to see exactly where I came from. I got to reconnect with family members that, to this day, have been born and raised in India. And so I'm very, very familiar with Indian culture, Indian food, Bollywood, um, all of those kinds of things. And so I have Indian culture in it. I mm -hmm. think, you know, growing up here, I certainly sound and look more American 
Mm-hmm. So whenever I went back to India, they would kind of out me as, okay, you're clearly not from here, mm-hmm. uh, you know? And so it, it's always been a beautiful duet is mm-hmm. how I think of it, where I can appreciate the Indian side and I can appreciate different values, different cultures, different experiences, or just chalk it up to different approaches to life. Um, and so I, I feel very grateful for that. Absolutely. And considering that you grew up in such a diverse kind of neighborhood, what types of diversity did you see around you? Was it fellow adoptees? Did you see more like mixed race families, families of different ages, maybe families that were, you know, kids raised by a grandparent or a non-biological parent? What what were the elements of diversity that informed your childhood experience? That's a good question. And I actually hadn't when, when people typically ask me about diversity, it's typically referring to racial diversity. But in this instance, I'm really glad you brought that up. So growing up, I were mixed race people. And mm-hmm. so it was always, you know, I got exposed to what that looked like. I never felt out of place. I had a bunch of friends who were raised, um, not necessarily by grandparents only, but by aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. So that familial type of adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was very some of the friends that I made in middle school and high school were honestly raised by strangers. It was mm-hmm. a very interesting kind of experience to see a couple of friends who didn't have a very stable uh, you know, home life. They would actually go and pretty much live most of their days with a random stranger that they met, whether mm-hmm. that was someone who worked with them at a girl's. It was just a coworker pretty mm-hmm. much at that point. And they turned into a paternal or maternal figure, which I thought was really special to see. Absolutely. That makes me think of the notion of chosen family. And that's something that, again, us as adoptees, there's one layer of living with a family that isn't biologically related to us. But then as we become adults, we go through high school and college and into our adult lives, we start to, you know, integrate what we understand as chosen family. But I think that us as adoptees, we have a little bit more of a sense, you know, a sensitivity to the notions of chosen family. And so how has that informed you as an adult, um, given that, you know, that we're older now and building out our own notions of family? Yeah, so the notion of family is a very interesting one for me. I think if you asked any of my friends or current family members, they would all say that my definition of family is my adoptive parents. I did in high school go through a spell of trying to figure out about my roots and find my biological family. Of course, Indianized, it was not very well organized. And now with our population surpassing well over a billion, the statistical chances of finding my biological parents went downhill, Mm. essentially. And so, you know, I came to terms with it. And I realized that, you know, whether I chose it or not, these are my adoptive parents. They're the ones who have chosen me. Mm -hmm. they have put so much effort into me emotionally financially effort wise where I do feel like I do take my my family very seriously in the sense that um, I always used to reach out when I was a kid I'd call my grandparents and ask them to tell me stories about their family members or um, every time I go back to the villages where my grandfather and my great-grandfather were born I'm Mm -hmm. very interested in the family history of things. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly finding, as you may have heard the stereotype, Indians have huge families. I'm always discovering new family members in different Mm -hmm. parts of the world. Most recently, I actually found I have an aunt and uncle who live in Fremont. So so I found out after 25 years. Yeah. 
continuing to kind of grow that. And when it comes to chosen family outside of that, I do choose some of my very close friends and my relationship as family. Yeah. And I think that that is a huge extension of the kind of love and support system and experiences I want to have, not just with my parents, parents, with my significant other and with my best friends. Absolutely. And again, I think we of all people know what that is like with putting the pieces together and creating the notions of community. And so um, tell me about Adopto. Like why, what is the current need for adoptees to come together? Obviously that's a, you know, we know the answer to that, but why now more than ever? Yeah, that's a great point. And so like um, growing up, one of the diversities I didn't really get to mention is I didn't get to see a lot of adoptees. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to meet a lot of them. And that was a function of my geography, right? So, you know, and that's true of a lot of people. And the reason why I wanted to create a dedicated online space for adoptees to connect with each other with a little bit of a professional development spin Mm -hmm. was during COVID, everyone got pushed to the internet and it became Mm -hmm. very, very isolating. And everyone has been searching for their own community since myself included and i felt very isolated during covid in this sense find other adoptees people that i could just go talk to completely different walks of life and just mm-hmm. say man you get it you understand you mm-hmm. know and i felt that connection with you opal when i talked chatted with you on adopto and when we met in person yeah it just felt like home it felt it, like comfort where yeah. we just had a mutual understanding and you know, i tried face stuff and it wasn't giving me the same kind of privacy to my mm-hmm. right of my story yeah and giving me the same opportunity to meet people who also may have wanted to protect their privacy and you know use it as a way to have meaningful connections mm-hmm. not necessarily have a direct support group but just connect with other adoptees yeah. talk about their stories and each other right help us out in our careers help us out as we continue to grow so that we have more role models out in the world that are public and proud about being adoptees, regardless of where they fall on that spectrum. So when children, whether they're in foster youth or they're uh, a young adoptee, they have role models to go look at. That's very common. They feel like they have a fair representation in the work world across the board. And I think one thing to also add to that, you know, you and I both being, you know, early career, um, working specifically in tech, um, being that between the age of like 18 and 30, I would say we're kind of left out of, you know, the the bigger conversation. A lot of, you know, resources go to, you know, call like when you're going into college and then, you know, through college. But once you graduate from school, you know, again, maybe 22 through 30, it's like that gray area of like, we're adults, technically, some of us being emancipated adults. Um, we're going through school. We now have, you know, all these adult badges in that we pay taxes and whatnot. But it's like, who's there to support us? And, you know, again, because a lot of us grew up in the sense that we didn't really talk about this and weren't able to create community with other adoptees. It's like, well, what do we do? Like, how do I navigate the workspace, you know, being an adoptee? Because the way that you know, we process things can be a lot different than people who weren't. It's just based, you know, it's just because of the way that we, you know, because of our lives. And so I think what you're doing with Adopto is definitely filling in a gap of, again, that professional development piece of it, advice of other adoptees and mentorship opportunities for us to kind of help lead the way for, for the other. And so I think that's why I'm super excited to see what comes of Adopto because it's kind of meeting 
in that gray area. Again, it's not necessarily age exclusive, but from what I've seen on the forums, it is us who were, you know, early to mid career and are able right. to open up the door for each other. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's really cool throughout the, throughout the world and throughout the country, I would say as well. So. Yeah. yeah. So I had met with a couple of adoptees and they were wonderful people. And they said, man, I would really love to meet others, but we <laughs> live in a very rural part of America and it's not easy for us to go meet them in person. We can't <laughs> attend support groups. And I said, okay, what about online? And, you know, I said, Facebook's a little too public yeah. to share a lot of that. And so, you know, that's what got it thinking about but um some of the impetus i actually have to give credit to my significant other radhika where we had this long conversation and she was very curious about my adoption and my story and how it's impacted my development and what that signals to me in terms of community and feeling at peace mm -hmm. and so she kind of gave me a little bit of that courage to instead of meandering around the idea which i had been doing at the time she kind of just said look if this is how passionate you feel about it and you feel really good when you talk to adoptees you should go for it and so I, I'm very grateful for all the support she's given to try and get me to where even adopto is right now and I think that sometimes whether it's an adoptee significant or chosen family or family sometimes just having that person to kind of spur you along is really important and I and I feel that spur every time I talk to an adoptee whether I meet them through Adopto or not is is irrelevant. It's more just, it gives me a lot of energy. It fulfills my satisfaction for, for one. And it makes me feel like I've got a bigger mission at, to play here. I, I'm playing a bigger role. Absolutely. One of the, th I think a really interesting point that you brought up is dating as an adoptee and dating non-adoptees, especially in adult relationships in the sense that your your SO probably knows, you know, your favorite color and they know, you know, your your favorite plant and all of these things. But having those really rigid and raw conversations around adoption can be really, really interesting when dating somebody <laughs> who might not be so familiar with, you know, fam the notions of family separation. And so um, I've heard it kind of on both ends of the spectrum of like two adoptees who get together and it's like nothing more than a trauma bond or people who have been in relationships with non-adoptees and then it's like, well, they don't understand me because I'm not adopted. And so in my past, I've, I haven't dated an adoptee before, but I've dated people who have been in, you know, various family separation, you know, instances and things. And so we can relate on that end of the spectrum. But again, dating as an adoptee is a whole other thing. And so um, <laughs> my question to you is was that kind of one of the first conversations that you had with your SO of like, look, you know, there might be some traumas that I have and reactions, you know, that are particular specific to me as being an adoptee around, you know, maybe attachment styles or, you know, abandonment things. Like, is that something you kind of prepared yourself to have uh, when thinking about dating? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to recall. I know it was one of our first conversations in the sense I broke the news that, hey, I am adopted. Mm -hmm. It does influence a lot of my opinions surrounding family and how mm -hmm. close I am to them. Um, so the forewarnings about yeah. other trauma or other things, I think part of it was I myself didn't know how to communicate that mm -hmm. to some extent. And I hadn't really seen it in previous relationships or previous years of my life really manifest mm -hmm. in those relationships. So you know, but over the course of time, it's been a couple of years 
And I think over that period, we've periodically, you know, brought it up. There have been mm-hmm. some instances or certain feelings of abandonment or certain fears of mm-hmm. abandonment or losing family members. You know, yeah. COVID was a very difficult time for a lot of people. And, you know, I was no exception to it. I lost about 12 or 13 family members at least. Mm-hmm. And it, it just hit a little different. And I'm beyond grateful that while it's hard for someone who's not adopted to date someone who is and understand it right away mm-hmm. that every time we had this conversation, Radhika came with an open mind. She was very supportive. She tried to make her questions. Rended, not very pointed, never came off attacked. Mm-hmm. And also it was just from a point of learning. It was yeah. a point of genuine curiosity from her end. And truthfully, we're figuring it out together. Yeah. It's not, there is no set answer that I have for her. And um, you know, I'm grateful that she's very like evidence driven. So it's like, Hey, like, I don't know right <laughs> now, you know? And so we, we are honestly trying to figure it out and it's influenced some of the conversations we've had on our own families and, yeah. you know, kind of where we see that future too. And what's interesting, one subsect of individuals that I've had conversations with are children of adoptees because mm-hmm. they have told me that either I've only met people who have one adoptive parent but it's like, yeah, you know, my parent, they weren't raised with, you know, my my biological grandparents. And so they talk, you know, there's kind of a gap in that that story. But what what's I found interesting is that the children want to know more about their parents' journey. So it's like, okay, mom, I get that you're adopted. Like, I want to go find. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, sometimes there's a very adverse reaction of like, why do you want to go find my biological family? And then, you know, the child is like, well, because, you know, technically that's my family too. And so that's been a really interesting, you know, conversation that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I myself don't have any children, but I'm like, I'm curious to know eventually how much they would want to know about their biological grandparents and what can I do to kind of set them up mm-hmm. for success. So luckily for me, you know, I have, but I have pictures and, you know, I'm getting together all of the genealogy reports um, mm-hmm. to make sure even, you know, the, the young children in my life right now, my nieces and nephews, respectively, like if they ever have questions, you know, let them let them get those answers. But I'm curious, you know, how my my brothers who aren't necessarily on this reunification journey would feel about that. So, you know, if right. they're listening, we can always have that conversation. But <laughs> it's it's a very interesting, you know, thing of, you know, should you and your your partner eventually have children? It's like, well, are they gonna, you know, want to know more about, you know, dad's parent, um, biological parents and the the lengths that they'll go to. And so uh yeah, just curious about your thoughts around that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so I myself also do not have children. It's something that, you know, in an ideal situation, I hope I'm in the right position and be a successful parent, set myself mm-hmm. up and set them up to be successful, mm-hmm. whether that's financial, being mo- emotionally and mentally ready for that commitment, mm-hmm. being in a place in my career, my life where, you know, I have a stable home, I know where things are, you know, yeah. I don't there's not a lot of instability there. Yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like that is a consideration that's always cross kids. Would I want to adopt my own or would I want yeah. my own biological kids? And if so, how does that change that narrative or what questions are they going to have or not yeah. have? And, you know, it's wonderful to hear that you have photos, you have genealogy reports and stuff like that. For me, you know, I just, I frankly just don't know. So yeah. I don't know how I could explain that 
And, um, you know, I always hated hearing this when I was a kid, when I asked my parents something and they just say, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I don't want to do that to my own kids, but at the same time, I need to make sure I'm prepared for it and ready for it. And my partner is as well for the questions they have. Um, hopefully they don't also have some sort of, you know, identity crisis surrounding it where they mm -hmm. have, um, you know, I always felt this weird twinge of dual loyalty, right. Between a biological family and yeah. a adoptive family. And yeah. you know, I wouldn't want to put any of that pressure or burden on my kids. Yeah. Granted, I don't know my biological family, so that's not yeah. really part of the equation, but yeah. I still wouldn't want that thought to really cross their mind. No. Um, no. so, but it, it is really interesting. I I've thought about that. And when I, you know, I think the rest of my family, meaning my cousins who are also children around my age, I don't think they found out I was adopted until, gosh, I think till maybe they were like 10 or wow. 11. I knew for a lot of years and I guess I just ignorantly assumed that they knew also, mm -hmm. um, but they didn't. And when they found out, um, you know, the closest cousin to me in age and someone who's my absolute favorite person, her name's Alia, um, she was like, that's so cool. This is awesome. And I, I remember she was just so jazzed up about it. And like, absolutely nothing changed about our relationship. And that's so beautiful. we were still just as close, two peas in a pod. And, um, you know, part of the reason I wanted to move out to San Francisco is to be closer to her. Mm -hmm. And so I've been able to kind of have really open communication with her around my adoption journey, around mm -hmm. my family perspectives. And she's been a huge supporter of, of uh, of me in this effort. So, yeah. That's really beautiful. Not me getting emotional. <laughs> no, that's a really beautiful, um, you know, perspective um, on the importance of family. And so again, not that you and I are older, you know, we, we have, we have some years <laughs> on us, but for what it's worth, we didn't necessarily have such access to the internet and to talking to folks online around community. But nowadays, you know, you spit in a tube and you're able to find your genealogy report. And that's kind of just scratching the surface of what's possible for today. And so Absolutely. thinking about the technologies that were available back, you know, in our in the 90s, you know, versus what we see today, what are some of the technologies that you think will come about around adoptees? Like, do you think, you know, in the future, we might be able to, you know, put our fingerprint somewhere and find, you know, our biological parents wherever they're at? Like, what what do you foresee? No, with AI and all the things? <laughs> That's a really good question. And, you know, frankly, first of all, we've come so far in the last 20 years technology-wise. Yeah. And I know that, you know, in the in the tech world, right, you were at Sequoia Capital, and mm -hmm. that's like the heart of all VC in some sense. And so I don't know. I would love it. You know, the, I see it being a double-edged sword. Yeah. For people who know that they're adopted, it could be great. Yeah because other ways to kind of find out but if you don't know and then you know you somehow have your dna at an airport or you go through security or mm -hmm. you know, you use that, uh, clear biometric security and someone mm -hmm. says oh by the way there's someone who shares this with you and you're like oh i didn't know that and then you do a little more digging and then you find yeah. out and you're like oh man like i didn't yeah. know this so it's definitely a pro and a con what yeah. i'm hoping for is you know, and I think we talked about this briefly as well, where similar to certain communities in college, like fraternities, sororities, or just certain clubs and affinity mm -hmm. groups, I would love to see more of those for adoptees. I yeah. would love to see ones 
tailored to each of those different identities we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. Some that overlap, some that don't, right? Yeah. There's there's a lot of different concentric circles we could make here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd love to see more communities around it. And ideally, I would like to see a infrastructure change towards foster youth care and what that really means, financial resources for countries and for people who are on the cusp of graduating high school, graduating college, like, do they have the resources they need to be successful and get to that next stage of their journey, whatever that might be, right? College isn't for everyone, or perhaps something isn't. But when I say infrastructure, I mean, different policy, different, literal physical infrastructure for an orphanage. So make it more accommodating, provide more resources, have computer labs, teach certain skills, and things like that. And Something I've always kind of just dreamed about, I don't know if this is possible, but having kind of an adoptee exchange, right? Just like a, uh, what's it called? Sorry, Uh, summer abroad or exchange student type experience. I thought, I think that would be a really cool thing to do with adoptees. Again, that requires a lot of coordination and infrastructure to make sure that's successful. But I think that would be really cool for two reasons. Mm -hmm. One, it gives people a lot of exposure just like going and doing a summer abroad somewhere else or or a program as well. And two, the narrative and the perspective as a thesis of this, right, it starts changing and you get exposed to something else. And so I think that kind of personal anecdotal evidence will trump any of the statistics that we see about adoptees or foster cares or anything like that. I want there to be that genuine connection where at a personal level, people can experience what that's like. Absolutely. And I think that I definitely agree, like 10 out of 10, if I had a magic wand, (laughs) I would definitely make that happen. And another thing that I would add to that is some sort of, how do I say, like base that someone could go off of. So when you're 18, you know, you're not in the house anymore. You're going out trying, you have a lot of questions about who you are and you know, where you're from and all of those things. And so it would be useful if there was some sort of database that we could go into, depending on how much information you want to know. Like for me, you know, I had questions about my paternal side and it's like, I wish I could just go without, you know, contacting anybody part of the family or to be like, hey, I'm your mysterious child. But like, just to be able to get pictures, to be able to pull medical records. Like, again, I know that there are um, issues with privacy laws and whatnot, but in an ideal world, it would just be so nice if we could get like a manila envelope of like, here are all the yeah, things everything. <laughs> that you might want to know, you know, here are the resources for therapy, because, you know, it, you know, putting up, pulling up these things could cause a lot of, you know, emotional things, but like, here are, you know, the very basic things like an original birth certificate or like yeah. what, whatever the case is, because I know that, you know, we have so many different you know, questions and things that we grapple with. Like, I know you had said that you don't have any information about your biological parents. And so it's like, that's difficult. That's tough. (laughs) Like, despite the fact that I'm in reunification, I still have questions about, you know, so many other different parts of my family. And so again, all of us who are under this like umbrella within this ecosystem kind of are meeting each other in very different ways of like, you could say that I'm 10 steps ahead because I have reunification, but I could say this other person is 10 steps ahead because they were raised by family, but it's like, it it doesn't necessarily matter. We all have, you know, our mm-hmm. stuff, you know, within this space. So yeah. man, 
we need we need to be the pioneers of this We're, we, we, should, we really should i think that would be <laughs> absolutely i think that'd be really cool and you know again i think some of it depends on the infrastructure we have yes for it, right and so you know making sure that you know, for foster youth in the U.S. and just in other countries as well, mm-hmm. there's better processes, there's better policy, there's yeah. better management, you know, they're given a real fair chance. That, that's, that's what, um, you know, and I've heard some stories of people beating some incredible odds mm-hmm. in their adoptee journey, you know, to come over to the U.S. from a different country or mm-hmm. to come, you know, they were adopted into a family that struggled very much so financially mm-hmm. and emotionally after the fact, and they were still able to in all intents in their own way. And it's just one of those things where having that database that can help you answer those questions, help share those resources, right? About if you want an original birth certificate or, mm-hmm. hey, I just want to hear how other people have abro- have approached a certain question, mm-hmm. right? I found my biological parents and I want to ask them and I want to reach out. How did other people do it? Yeah. Right? And so, and not just Google it and find some you know, typed answer, but actually yeah. go talk to someone, right? Yeah. Get some personal advice that's tailored to you, I think would be incredible. Um, you know, and it would hope, and it feels very fulfilling. I, through Adopto, not only have I met people as wonderful as you, I met a couple of other folks that actually came to San Francisco and visited me. And this is like within two or three weeks of meeting. That's and amazing. It meant absolutely, it meant the world to me. I was like, wow, this feels really cool. And I grew up without any siblings, which does mm-hmm. influence a lot of my views on family and, you know, future children and partners mm-hmm. and things. But in a way, as cheesy as it may sound, I feel that connection to a lot of the other adoptees, right? Yeah. We fall under the same umbrella. Everyone's story is different. There are different yeah. traumas. There's different flavors to it. Completely understand. But whenever I meet an adoptee, it's just, man, this is so cool. It's just this excitement feeling where we can, we get it at a different level. We really do have that shared connection. And that's why even thinking about the notions of chosen family, like if you have an adoptee in your life, you, you kind of, you kind of know, like, I don't know, we're someone that you're going to remember. Like, I, I always joke that like my partner needs a support group for like partners of adoptees. Cause it's like, go talk to them about <laughs> what it's like to be, you know, uh, with the person who's like in reunification and like going through all these different things and you know at this point I joke to to my partner I'm like you kind of know at this point who I talk about when I say my mom it depends on the context of the conversation but it, um, he was like yeah I know which one you're talking about depending on what you know what, what tone you're using um, but that would like not even be something that would was at play like five years ago like before I got into reunification like the fact that I'll be standing there and it's like, I get a phone call from like my biological mom, like what? That's not something that is, ooh. If you would have told me that even like three years ago, I would be like, what are you talking about? But, you know, having that support and for my partner to be able to have like seen this journey over the past couple of years and be like, you know, not a innocent bystander, but kind of so of like, I'm gonna do what I can, but I can't support you, Opal. Like, obviously I've never been through this on my own, but like, what can I do to show up for you and to like, listen to you is definitely something that is needed. Um, mm-hmm. And again, having that that partner support um, and friendship support too, my friends are are here along the way is really important, which I think is really cool with Adopto. Like there could be subsects of like, you know, maybe a page for partners of, you know, adoptees for them to come on the stage and talk about it. But just having the conversation I think is really what I'm getting at. 
in all of this. Like that's yeah. what we needed just to talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, having, yeah, having that conversation is really critical and having the right friends and family and significant other around you mm-hmm. is crucial. And it's one of those things where, you know, and um, the, the way I see it is sometimes issues or certain mental struggles or questions that pop up there isn't necessarily a trigger for it yeah right it just might randomly pop up one time Mm -hmm. and so and that's that's happened (laughs) many times uh for me and I'm grateful that my partner whenever I bring it up she never tries to say where did it come from or anything Mm -hmm. she's just like okay let's talk about it you know she might need a refresher on a couple of opinions or emotions that I may have had mm-hmm. some of it is for her right and I understand it's very confusing for her or for any of my guy friends and, and friends in general is to them it's like a huge curious puzzle and they have to start yeah. mapping certain things yeah and then remember them right all these very delicate and sometimes abstract dependencies between this person maybe this this moment or something and so finding people that are very supportive of it and honestly, I think curiosity is a huge part of that. I think having someone who's as curious to know about it shows a different kind of support, right? There's people who show up in support through listening and being phenomenal listeners. Mm-hmm. And there's people who do that part. And then they're also curious. They want to help, you know, of course, ask their own questions, but they want to help you get clarity on what you want. Yeah. And so I'm grateful that my partner always asks questions that are you know, in the moment, I might complain about it because I don't know the answer, but they are thought provoking enough to try and get me to a new stage of clarity yeah. or a new stage of understanding what I was trying to go for. And so, yeah, picking a partner when you're an adoptee is a very, very important piece. And it's not something that like they tell you about, you know, you you're we're growing up, you know, we're now finding our life partners as people in their like mid to late 20s. And it's like having a trauma informed partner is really important because adoption is going to bring up some of those things. And I, you know, you kind of look back and, you know, look at other friendships that you've had. I'll speak for myself. I look back at some of the friendships I've had and I'm like, oh yeah, no, that was trauma because of my adoption. Oh, that was trauma because of separate, you know, notions of separation. And so having mm-hmm. that awareness is really key. And so um, one of my final questions for you is, again, considering that we're in a similar age bracket, was this kind of advocacy work something that you foresaw when thinking about going to college and, you know, as an adult, did you foresee, I'm going to be an adoption advocate and I'm going to do it in the best way possible? That's a good question. I don't think uh, I had ever thought about it like that. I like I said, I didn't really start even thinking or talking about my adoption until high school. I was very fortunate that I found a mentor who to this day is still a very good friend and mentor. And he actually, he had adopted his son. Mm -hmm. And so he had been kind of taking me under his frameworks and just listening to me and challenging me a lot, which in high school, I didn't, I was a pretty snotty high schooler. And I was like, man, this is so hard or whatever. But in the long run, it paid off where he helped me come to terms with certain things about my adoption, mm-hmm. close some of the chapters in my head, and then be able to be open to new ones. And so I never thought I would be in the position I am. I never thought I'd be an advocate. I always knew that at the back of my mind, I had always wanted to adopt a child later in life. And I would always love to go financially support orphanages or foster youth. Um, 
granted in high school and college, I didn't really have the means to do that just yet. Um, but I think having gone through college and having gone through COVID, of course, I realized that having that community and having a dedicated space for all of us and making it productive is super important. So like you said, right, some are just trauma bonding. And to some extent, that's hard to do on a digital forum versus a support group that does Zoom calls or meets in person. And there are many of those. And so this was more, hey, I want to meet other adoptees and I want to figure out how I can take my career or my passions or side projects that I'm interested in to the next level. And so, you know, I'm in the process of buying some art right now from one of the adoptees on the Adopto platform, and I'd love to support adoptee art. There's another gentleman who's doing a consulting business, and I'm trying to contribute wherever I can there. And so it's just one of those things where you feel like you're investing in people like you. You feel like every time you meet an adoptee and you help them or you just connect, it's one step closer to getting us where we all want to be. Absolutely. And again, when we talk about the different layers and different types of diversity, there's so much diversity within our adoptive community. Again, whether mm -hmm. you're former foster youth, whether you're familial, same race, international, domestic, like whatever the case is, we come with a very unique subset of skills and experiences that I think, you know, if are overlooked, it's such a loss. And again, we connect with each other on such a very deep level, given that we all have had this, you know, adoptee experience. And so there's a level of trust that's there. Like, okay, you get it. Even if you have a totally different, you know, growing up, you know, experience in time, I think that it's important for us, you know, to connect on that level because we, we understand it. And so um, is there anything else you would like to tell the people? Um, I think when it comes to one other thing, and I think we talked about this briefly last week, was when it comes to perspectives, when most people think of adoption, they don't fully comprehend what that process looks like. Everyone compares human adoption to, oh, yeah, I adopted a dog or I adopted a, a pet. Right. And that's fantastic. I fully support people who choose to adopt pets. Adopting humans and adopting children at different ages and different countries and nationalities, certainly not as easy. Some, you know, adoption processes can go anywhere from $40,000 to $100,000. So it is not easy to do. There's a lot of legal work involved. There's a lot of both ends, right, for the adopt, for the prospective adoptee child and for the prospective parents and everyone in between. It's, it's not as easy. And so I hope that we you know, destigmatize, right? Some of the um, stereotypes around foster youth, around adoptees in general, but also just provide more education, right? Provide more education, showcase to people what adoption really looks like and what what that, put some, put some narratives to it, right? Share some anecdotes, share some stories because it's hard for people who don't know an adoptee in their life when they hear the word adoptee, the only frame of reference they have is presumably a pet, right? That's the closest thing they have. Yep. And so just getting more exposure for people, I think is great and changing how adoptees are seen. The role I hope to play is changing how we're seen in our own community, in our own eyes, where adoptees on the Adopto platform or just in general can look at each other and say, hey, we can get, we can have a very fruitful career. We can make certain projects really successful and we can be a role model for the other adoptees that we know. And so that that's kind of the last thing was just making sure that 
the narrative around adoptees is anchored in the right things. And we shift the perspectives of people who don't know us and the people who do know us and our own to be just a little bit more inclusive. Absolutely. I think it goes on the the saying FUBU for us by us, which is a term oh, within it's a term within the black community. It's not my term that I coined, but I think it's important to it's kind of akin to the for us by us notion that we're able to tell our own stories and learn from the other. Cause again, you and I could be put in a lineup of people and it's like with Opal and Raul understand each other as adoptees, but it's like, well, I don't necessarily understand what it's like to be a same race international adoptee vis-a-vis mm-hmm. so Raul probably has questions on what it's like to be a former foster youth turned transracial adoptee and born in the Absolutely. US. And so us by us having conversations like these and getting to know each other on a more public platform, I think is really, really important. And then paying homage to the folks who might be, you know, also within the adoptee ecosystem, but might not be ready to have the conversation on such a public forum. I think with us giving language and kind of showing the way that we can talk about it less from like, oh, woe is me. And, you know, I went through all these traumas and more of like from an empowerment stance and the ways that we look at it as as young adults, I must say, because there's you know, there are role models that are, you know, full adults who have families and things like that. But for us, we're in a very unique position, given that we're in, you know, we are technically adults, but we're very in those formative years of we're adults. And now we're thinking about our own families and building that out. And, and, you know, the way is that going to be like through the biological route? Is that going to be through adoption route, something in between or not none at all? All of us kind of fall on that spectrum, you know, in varying ways. And so um, I think we're doing the, the good work right now. I must say, you know, pat, it, pat myself on the back and also give kudos yeah. to you because I think we're really shaping what the future of adoption looks like. And that's why I'm super excited for what Adopto is doing by putting it, you know, on a digital, on a digital space, because I think this would have been really helpful for me um, as a teenager and as a kid growing up to see, you know, role models of people who've actually been through it and not just through the right. the Hollywood lens or like the sensationalized, like getting a, adopting a kid is like adopting a puppy. It's like, no, we're here to tell you first yeah. and foremost <laughs> that that is not necessarily the, the real <laughs> deal behind it. And so um, learning from each other and also sub, which I think subsequently teaches, you know, folks who might not be so familiar um, so that, that's it for me on that end. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think this is an incredible avenue to try and share some of it. And when I said that we need to do a better job of educating people who are unfamiliar with adoption as well adopted is content. And so yes. what you're doing with Story Noir and what you've been doing in the adoptee community in the East Bay in Oakland, right? Attending those events, showing up for support groups, that is the that is the best way to start that education process for all spectrums of people. Yes. And so I'm really excited for future content. I'm very grateful for your you know, support of Adopto and for being one of the first members to join yes. and to show so much love for us on that platform itself. And so, you know, I think we're on the right track. I think we need to start galvanizing more people to join us and Absolutely. feel confident that they can do this. Yeah. And I think we'll be off to the races. Absolutely. And I think we already are in the sense that, again, three years ago, I did not have the language or the community or the network to even be like, hey, can I speak on a panel? And then, you know, you meet people that have platforms like this, 
we'll, we'll get the people. We're going to bring them to the other side. Trust and believe. Oh, we, oh we yeah. Got... Oh, yeah. No, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am so, so excited. And so where can the f- people find you online if you want them to find you? That's the thing. You know, how can we support the work that you do <laughs> and connect more um, and stay within, you know, your ecosystem and, and support and uplift the work you do? Yeah, no, that's thank you for for. Uh, asking. And so for those of you who are uh, adoptees that are listening, please feel free to check out Adopto. And for anybody else who is just interested in learning more about the professional side, please feel free to find me on LinkedIn. And if we do connect on LinkedIn, um, I'm more than happy to share a personal email or we can schedule a call to take it a step further. Amen. We'd love to see it. And also considering that you are so active online, who are some other people that you want to uplift? Whose content uh, do you want the do you want people to to follow? Yeah, absolutely. One per there's two people that come to mind. So the first, his name is Oleg Lockheed. And so he is the he is also an adoptee from Russia. And I, I won't do his story justice. He runs a nonprofit in Austin, Texas. He is an incredible person. He's one of the very first adoptees that I actually met in the last year. And he's been incredibly helpful in me understanding my own perspective on adoption. And his adoption story is incredible and how he uses adoption as a way to connect with people who share certain commonalities, right? So he uses it to, in a really positive way to show that we can connect to people who may have certain disabilities or have cancer or have come from a very hard financial background or something like that. And so he uses it in a really good way to kind of humanize everybody and connect them. So he's one person I'm extremely grateful for. His mentorship, his feedback has been absolutely fantastic. And another person that comes to mind uh, in terms of content, his name is Simon Ben. He's on LinkedIn and he has a podcast as well called Thriving Adoptees. And so his podcast is centered around adoptive parents, adoptees, kind of share what they've learned often the hard way, you know, to inspire and empower others. And so his whole focus is adoptees that are now thriving. And so you get to hear a lot of the struggles, but you get to see a lot of that productive output. And he's done a fantastic job. And none of this would have been possible without the very first person who actually Talk to me about this. Her name was Katie Page, and she, Katie Page Sanders, and she is the president of Hands Across the Water, which is a adoption agency based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I was fortunate enough to attend one of their clinics when I was a high school student, and we'd stayed in touch. And I reached back out to her this year, about seven years later, and she still remembered me. She still reached out, and she's the one who's helped connect me to so many other adoptees and give me a lot of constructive feedback around Adopto. So a huge thank you to these folks. That is amazing. And honestly, more proof that community is really where it's at. It's not about what we necessarily know, but it's who we know and who wants to help us. And that's, again, as you see, people just reach their hand out. It's like, hey, as a fellow adoptee, like, let me see what I can do to to uplift and support. And so what I'll do is I'll put all of their handles in in the show notes, but... Uh, if anything, thank you so much, Raul. This has been a really amazing conversation. Very eye-opening. I really think that you have something great going with Adopto and telling your story. Just having, you know, sit-down conversations like these are really, this is the education that folks need. It, it definitely, you know, you have a very inviting, 
story, very inviting aura in the sense that, you know, people want to definitely listen in here. So I commend you. I tip my hat and I'm I'm rooting for you from across the bridge. Thank you. <laughs> across the bridge. Thank you so much, Oval. This has been absolutely fantastic. And this is certainly the first of many conversations I hope to have with you and for many of the listeners and other adoptees too. So again, thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again. Yes. Okay.